Welcome back to Doing Business with Matt Hartman. I have some great interviews I'm excited to share, but first, here is part two of my interview with Mike Bosner, lead producer of Beautiful, the Carol King musical. This is Doing Business. Until we met, my understanding of how the, the producing world operated was based on the show, the producers. That's a good one. <laughs> how did you get into this? What made you decide to get into it? And so far, has it been what you expected? So I had zero indication that I was going to go into theater. I had no interest in going into theater, but I was a very artistic kid. Um, I was in shows as a kid. I was a performer. I was a very musical child. I was in you know the school plays and the school uh, musicals, and I went to a high school in St. Louis um, called John Burroughs, which John Hamm went to, and I will shamelessly wave that flag, as well as uh, Ellie Kemper and a bunch of other people. So they had a great drama program, um, which I just loved doing. But come my senior year, I was ready to go to school next year and really go off and do, you know, be a nice Jewish boy and either go into law or go do business or something. And toward, like a month before graduation, my theater director came to me and said, hey, I just heard about an internship in the production office at this local theater. Would you be interested in it? And I said, oh my God, yeah, I went to, I went to shows at this theater. I would love it. So I went, I was interviewed, I got the internship, and I started uh, working as an intern at the St. Louis Muni, which was my first job in theater at, you know, right out of high school at age 18. And back then I was making lunches for the executive producer, Paul Blake. And I remember the moment as clear as day. Uh, it was two weeks into the summer. We were at a production meeting in the upstairs design studio overlooking the entire lot. This theater was huge. It was, it's like a movie lot. I mean, we built the sets on premise. It was a 12,000 seat outdoor theater. So it was just a crazy operation. And we were sitting up in this design studio overlooking the whole thing. And Paul was directing a version of um, Meet Me in St. Louis, which was gonna open in a couple of weeks. So this was the first time the entire creative team was together with the local team. And they were gonna talk about how they're gonna work this out. Paul was saying, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do this because the actors can't be rehearsed then. The crew can't bring this in here. That set piece can't go in there because the stage manager has to sit there and you know the orchestra, it'll cost too much if we call them for too many rehearsals. And I just remember sitting there, my like jaw was on the ground because there was this whole world of theater that I didn't know existed. And this was a theater that I grew up at and I grew up coming to shows. I remember watching shows on this stage and in this moment I realized, oh my God, there's like, there's so much that I don't know about this thing that I love. And a thing that I thought was just recreational and people make their lives being accountants for theaters or you know, being theater directors. I, I was so self-centered as an actor. I thought, well, it was just about me singing the songs. Um, so, Paul quickly in that summer saw that I was just in heaven with all of this and he took me under his wing and took me to everything. I was taking his notes at tech rehearsals and things like that. And at the end of that summer, I went to the University of Miami down in Coral Gables 
and they had a really great international uh, financing program, which at that point I had aspirations of, you know, setting companies around the world, and maybe I'll go into international law, I don't know, I just knew I wanted to travel. And after this summer, I'm like, I think I may want to do theater production. And I went to the theater conservatory there, which I didn't even know existed when I was looking at the show, or at the school, and I told them about my summer, and the guy who ran the conservatory was just so supportive, and he was like, oh my God, yeah, come, do whatever you want to do. And he allowed me to basically tailor a program to doing theater production, because it didn't exist. So I stayed in the business school and got a business degree, but I kind of picked and choose what I wanted to do in the theater uh, department, and I did you know, all the script analysis and directing and all that stuff. I kept going back to the Muni, and each summer, um, you know, I would grow up and be Paul's assistant the next summer. And after my second summer there, Paul's full-time guy in New York, his full-time associate producer, was leaving. I remember him calling me and saying, um, you know, this guy's leaving. If you want the job, it's yours. How can I do this? I mean, I'm flattered, but I'm in school. And he said, well, I don't know, but if you can figure it out, you know, and you want to move to New York, let me know. So I went and talked to, you know, the chairman of the theater department and my dean at the uh, business school. And from all of these extra classes I had been taking, I was eligible to graduate early. And I was shy of like a couple of credits. And my chairman worked it out so that it just kind of happened. Um, and I went back to the theater that summer in St. Louis and we did a transition with me and the full-time guy from New York and after the second week he left and then I was there and I was the associate producer. I thought it was very fancy um, and I moved to New York that fall. So I moved to New York uh, in, when was that? It was the fall of 2007, August of 2007. And continued running the Muni. Uh, Paul is the executive producer, me is the associate producer for another five years. And, no, is that true? No, not five years. I think another four years after that. And going into that last year was when this Carol King show came about. And, you know, I was slated to be the associate producer on that show with him. And it was in the putting together of the show and talking to all these New York theater partners where eventually Paul said, you know, the only two people who are caring about the show and working as hard on it as everybody else's is the two of us. Like, why don't we just do this? Do you want to be my partner? And I'm like, sure. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, but then I quickly realized that, oh, I got to go raise some money now. Um, and then the two of us, you know, formed a partnership and here we are three years later. And to answer the last half of your question, it's so much better than anything I would have anticipated. I mean, I'm having the time of my life, but I'm also learning and I continue to learn and I feel like I know this show very well, but now I'm learning how to do shows in London and now I know what the road is like and all of this stuff. And it's just a continually like amazing experience. Um, and in the best possible way, we were thrown into it because we've never done it before and we just had to figure it out. So I was learning how to dynamically price by talking to the people who do all the dynamic pricing on Broadway and figuring out, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? 
And I kind of naively just said, let's stupid, let's do something else. And they're like, looked at me like I was speaking Polish to them. And some of what the something else was worked great. Some of it does not. And I'm like, all right, well, now we know that works. So let's use that and kill the rest. Um, so it really is like being an, you know, an entrepreneur in a way. And it's, you know, I'm in one of the most like glorious fields ever and something that was totally unexpected and I found my livelihood and I love it and you know now it's about how do I do more shows and more shows that I want to do and do I want to do you know another show of around a brand do I want to do something different it's all you know it is so far surpassed any idea that I had this would be that it's just great as I was leafing through the program I noticed when I was looking at other shows that were in the list was that many of them had brands that I recognized. So one example was The Lion King. That was an obvious one. Aladdin, I'd heard of that. I'd seen the, the movie when I was a kid. And then you had the total other end of the spectrum where I hadn't heard of the, the production at all. Um, something, uh, or, or there was no existing brand. I'd heard of it at this point. Um, like Book of Mormon I ha was new to the world when it launched. And then in the middle somewhere, I feel like beautiful, I, I knew who I knew of Carol King and it was familiar enough to know that that was something. How does that impact or factor into whether you decide to do the production in the first place? Well, as with everything, it depends on the person. For us, we knew that Carol King was big. We didn't know how big she was. And we knew when we started talking to people and saying, oh, I listened to Tapestry when it was, you know, when I first went to college, I went on my first date, and it was men and women, which was shocking to us. And sometimes you can say, oh, I'm working on a show above, blah, 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 and they're like, oh, that's good. Let me know how it goes. Um, but these people had, like, visceral reactions to it. So we knew that the name Carol King meant something. What we are now finding out is that the Carol King name and brand is big. The music that she produced and wrote and performed is so much bigger that even though you don't know Carol King the name, you know the music. And I think that was a surprise to us um, how deep and wide that actually goes. And that's part of the fun about the show. When you're there, you're like, oh my God, I didn't know she wrote that. Um, now, one of the great things about Broadway is that there is this wide array of like totally original shows that you've never seen before, you've never heard of before, and that they're not based on a brand, they're not based on a movie or a book or even a story um, or a catalog like ours is, but they're just totally original. Um, this happens to be a catalog show that is based on a brand, and I think it just depends. I mean, at the end of the day, if the show is good and you are appealing to something that the audience wants or has heard or has been told by reviews that this is worthy of seeing and it takes on a life of its own that like you hear from your friends even if it didn't get good reviews oh my god you've got to go see this show probably probably you're gonna go see it and that takes its own brand and it creates its own brand so there's a million ways to skin it and you know Carol King for us continues to surprise us how big the brand really is, and thank you, dear Lord. Um, but 
it, we knew she was big, and it continues to, you know, pleasantly surprise us. Can you talk a little bit about the actual mechanics of the financing of a, of a Broadway show? So you alluded to a little bit earlier. Are you, I saw there was a number of people kind of listed as producers, and I think that, and you mentioned there was an executive producer, and what's the difference between those two things, and then is, are there people who are only responsible for thinking about how you finance this production, and other people who are getting the CEO of the musical? So the two people who have thought about how you're going to finance this production are me and Paul Blake. <laughs> uh, we're the ones who are responsible for it. So at the end of the day, we're the only real ones who are responsible for it. And because shows have gotten so expensive, the trend on Broadway has been to bring in more and more producing partners, whether they're as associate producers or just full-blown producers who are with you above the title, and they contribute large sums of money. So for each show, people usually set levels of, if you contribute this amount of money, you get this kind of a deal for raising that money, and also you'll get billing on the title, you know, or something to that effect. Paul and I said, you know, again, this is different for every show, but for us, once we knew how much money it was going to be, um, we didn't set any kind of really boundaries within ourselves or within our investors of how we were going to do it. We wanted to see, again, the demand for people and were we going to have to really work hard for this. We knew we were going to have to go out and get it, but going into that final reading that we did, we knew we were about $4 million was going to be. Um, and at that last reading, we got the rest of the money that we needed, which was more than double that, way more than double that. Um, and the way that it ended up working itself out on our show was we had about four people who put in a certain percentage of the overall capitalization, and they all raised it. Um, and some of one person wrote a check himself. One of them went to a bunch of smaller investors. One of them split it up between, you know, some larger investors. And a couple of those people got associate producer credit. A couple of those people were full-blown producers. So it's all based on the relative scale of how much you're contributing versus the overall budget. Um, and again, for associate producers versus executive producers, it's up to the show, but in our case, we have executive producers who get fees, um, and they don't see a quote-unquote deal on their money that they've raised. And what I mean by that is they receive equity in the show, so you'll get a little, not a kickback, but a kicker, if you will, or a little vig, um, and it's all relative to how much you're contributing. Are the people who are investing looking at it like venture capital and they're making 10 different investments in 10 different shows and hoping that one is a massive success? Or are they saying, I love this idea and I want to see this exist in the world and so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest based on that? I think the majority is the latter um, because Broadway is very tough as an economic model and it's really hard to make money and so few shows even make their money back. The last statistic I saw was that uh, I think 
20% of shows even break even. Now, if you're in that 20%, the ability to go further and make some good money goes way up. Um, but because of that, you really got to be talking to people who are doing it because they love the show and they want to put it out there. Um, they also have to have the capital to be able to do that. And you know, if they're going to miss it at the end of the day, don't, don't, this is not the business for you. This is not the investment to you. I'll invite you to opening night. Don't comment on this. Well, Mike, thank you again so much for joining us today uh, on the podcast. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks again to everyone for listening. I will be back with more interviews, so look out for a brand new set of episodes. In the meantime, you can reach me on Twitter at Matt Hartman. Talk soon.